Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thanks for listening this Tuesday, May 11, 2021. Topics on today's episode include LO Comp, my interview with Dave Sims, and a macroeconomic review of last week's disappointing job figures. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Candor. Have you heard of Candor yet? As you'll hear shortly, they're gaining groundswell for their dynamic, adaptive, and automated underwriting engine. The real estate and lending industries operate in a world filled with laws, lawsuits, and regulators. The latest example being Rex's suit against Zillow and the National Association of Realtors over the real estate segregation rule, which puts the interests of legacy real estate brokers before consumers. In the written version of today's commentary is something every compliance department should read. A National Review article pointing out the CFPB's current thoughts on lending and servicing during the pandemic. Compliance departments are certainly aware of how compensation is paid to AEs and LOs. After analyzing data from its Compensafe ICM platform, LBAWare's Q1 2021 comp report showed a slight decrease in basis points paid. Increases in year-over-year refi and purchase volume contributed to higher commissions for LOs and processors despite a slight decline in basis points per loan. Processors handled 29% more loans per month in the first quarter of 2021 compared to the first quarter of 2020, fueling a 51% increase in average comp earned from $1,451 per processor per month in the first quarter of 2020 to $2,194 in the first quarter of 2021. On average, 3.6 individuals were paid a form of loan compensation per loan unit in the first quarter of this year. For links to those stories, as well as the latest on employment and transitions, broker and lender products and services, and product news, visit robchrisman.com. For today's interview, I brought on Dave Sims, CEO of Flowify, to discuss some parts of his platform and trends in the industry as a whole. Part of Flowify is a mobile application. What makes you think a mobile application is going to gain traction with clientele in the mortgage industry in general? Sure. I think you just got to go where folks are. So, you know, borrowers, they... They cross every kind of different person across the United States. So you just got to meet them where they are. And I think a lot of vendors would say the same thing. They're trying to cater to the borrower experience. What actually sets you apart when it comes to winning lenders business? Our software adapts to the workflows of high producers rather than forcing high producers to adapt to our workflow. So we have lots and lots of different options. We accommodate many different workflows. Where do you see efficiencies to be gained over the next few years? And what new features do you have on your roadmap? Hopefully those, those things dovetail together quite nicely. It's really about going back to this, the story of keeping the borrower in one place from the very beginning to the very end of their transaction. You know, If they only have to remember to go back to one place, if they're only getting emails from the loan officer and not from two or three different systems. It brings in matters of trust and what have you. So really, I think the efficiencies there are a combination of making sure we provide everything to the borrower from the very start to the very end. And at the same time for the loan officers, they can literally like double their loan production and maybe only add zero or one additional person to their team One of my um, favorite loan officers, he's been with us forever, James Pulsifer, he went from like a hundred and some million in loan volume to over 200 in loan volume last year. And he added one team member. And a huge part of that was Flowify. So I think that's what everyone can look forward to is like 
just getting their team to originate more without making your big your your team bigger. And then this, to answer the second part of your question, we can talk about specific features that help us get to that point. Um, we're, 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 we'll be launching a fully digital e-closing. We've got a total expert integration coming that's really popular with some of our bigger customers. We have an OCR, like automated document recognition integration with LoanBean coming. So a lot of people like to, you know, when the documents come in, the, the LoanBean software can automatically figure it out and do some kind of income analysis and all of that can be automated. There's some really great stuff coming in the just the next few months. Sounds like it. So what, just for, for fun here, if standard closing times are 30 days or 45 days and, and companies are celebrating when they get a 14-day close, how low can that go over the next several years? What's your estimate? Oh boy, um, I'm terrible at crystal balls. So what I've always just tried to say is let's make things better. Let's start pointing things in the, the right direction. So if we can get like, a 10% reduction for some folks in 2021, I'll take that as a good step. And if we get another 10% reduction in 2022, I'll take that as a good step. Um, the, you know, the one minute mortgage, I don't know if we're going to be able to get there. Certainly regulations would have to change. Um, but we are making it, the whole industry is making it indeed faster, faster and, and easier along the way for, for sure. I respect that answer because people all the time say, where are treasury yields going? Where are rates going? I said, you know, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be sitting on my private island in the Caribbean rather than talking to you about where rates are going. So, so well, well played there, sir. And uh, thank you for taking the time and, and coming on. I enjoyed this. My pleasure. I enjoyed our time. A parade of positive U.S. economic data over the last month that saw several series hit either all-time highs or multi-decade highs, was halted by that pesky payrolls report to close last week. Some lawmakers suggest that the government's supplemental unemployment benefits are discouraging people, particularly in lower-wage positions, from re-entering the workforce. Let me remind you that one data point does not make a trend, and there is bound to be the occasional miss. Demand is so strong across many industries that supply chains are having a hard time keeping pace, which is a much better problem to have than two weeks of demand. The effect is that these strained supply chains are driving up input prices across the board, which in turn leads to higher basic commodity prices, higher financial asset prices, higher housing prices, and likely higher consumer prices. That sure sounds inflationary, which could derail the U.S. recovery. The Fed likes a little bit of inflation, at least low, balanced, and predictable inflation. Too much inflation distorts the economy debt markets, and other financial market pillars, while too little inflation discourages investment and consumption, leading to anemic performance. The question on investors' minds is if the economy is going to overheat with interest rates so low. Maybe it will a little, but slightly higher prices for a temporary period aligns with the Fed's general aim for an inflation rate of 2% on an average over time, to make up for exceptionally weak gains over the recent time frame. So, back to that dismal payrolls report we go. Though a full economic recovery may already be priced into the market, the weak employment data has temporarily eased worries about too hot inflation and the necessity of interest rate hikes by the Fed to combat it. It's obviously going to be a complex economic recovery, but on the whole, the broad basket of labor-related data remains very positive. We are set to receive some important inflation data with the Consumer Price Index tomorrow and the Producer Price Index on Thursday. Today's economic calendar kicked off with the NFIB Small Business Activity for April in at a five-month high. 
The Mortgage Bankers Association's latest forbearance and call volume survey revealed that the total number of loans now in forbearance decreased by 11 basis points to 4.36% of servicers' portfolio volume in the prior week as of May 2nd, meaning 2.2 million homeowners remain in forbearance plans. Later this morning brings Redbook same-store sales for the week ending May 8th, followed by Jolt's job openings and a $58 billion three-year note auction by the Treasury in the afternoon. In addition to two operations by the New York Fed desk for a maximum support amount of $5.5 billion, we will also hear remarks from New York's Williams, Governor Brainerd, San Francisco's Daily, Atlanta's Bostitch, and Philadelphia's Harker. We begin the day with agency MBS prices pretty much unchanged from Monday night, and the 10-year yield also unchanged at 1.60%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. We now take you to a high school science class. Teacher says, A single ant can live up to be 29 years old. So a student obviously asks, how about a married one? (laughs) Thanks again to Candor for sponsoring today's podcast. I look forward to hearing more great things. Want to know more? Go to candortechnology.com. Tell them Robbie Chrisman sent you. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.